I can't believe I'm making myself watch this again. Uh-oh. But um, we're going to watch probably the scariest movie that I've seen. Oh, no. And I don't watch a lot of scary movies, so, you know, take that as you will. But, okay, uh, have you seen The Grudge? Oh, my God, stop, 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 stop. No, stop. I actually have not seen The Grudge. Oh, that's just, like, the noise that she makes. And my friend, I have a friend who is super double-jointed, like, unbelievably double-jointed, and she used to crawl around my house and make <laughs> that noise, and you'll get why that's terrifying after we watch this movie. All right. Well, I wish I could say I'm excited. I'm nervous because I also do not necessarily care for horror movies. But um, you know what? I'm going in with an open mind. This is something that I have uh, avoided seeing for many, many years. And uh, I guess now is the time. Hello and welcome to K Have You Seen? I'm Kari. I'm Kyle. Um, and today we're talking about, on our fifth episode, The Grudge, my pick. Um, so to start us off, give you just a quick, quick logline. Um, an American nurse living and working in Tokyo is exposed to a mysterious supernatural curse, one that locks a person in a powerful rage before claiming their life and spreading to another victim. Not sure that's totally 100% accurate, I but... Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, and it's funny because this is not the only um, summary of this movie that I've seen today that was written by somebody who obviously had not actually watched or paid attention to the movie. Because it's obviously talking about Sarah Michelle Gellar, who is... We'll get into this later, but ostensibly the main character, even though she's only in like 25% of the movie. <laughs> but she's also not a nurse... They say explicitly that she's like a caretaker volunteer right. for credits. Uh, and the logline that I saw uh, when I watched the movie <clears throat> this afternoon um, on uh, Amazon Prime, it said that it was about an ancient spirit, which is also not accurate. Nope. They explicitly say that this murder that the movie is about took place three years in the past. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty recent, and well, timeline, I feel like, is a big thing in this movie. Oh, we'll we are, talk about that. dig deep into the timeline. But also, the powerful rage thing, that's not, she's not in a rage. Nobody else is, there's nope. no rage for any, Just even, the dead people. Even the setup of the movie, I'm not sure, I don't know, how much rage comes into it, but we can talk about that later. I mean, I right off the bat, I can say that this is a movie that did so much right, but also did so much wrong. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. And I that was much more apparent, I think, on a rewatch. This is probably only the second or third time I've seen it. I picked this movie because I saw it when it came out, 2004, probably, I guess that would have been like middle school for mm -hmm. me. And it terrified me. Sure. This was the scariest movie I've ever seen. And still to this day, that noise, the like thinking about the really disjointed way her body moves will totally freak me out. So... This was a um, less positive strong feelings <laughs> okay. turning into, but I'm curious to hear how you thought what so, you thought of the movie. This was, of course, the first time that I'd seen this movie. Um, 2004 would have been my freshman or sophomore year of high school. Um, and so I knew a lot of people who had seen it. And so there was a lot of parts of it that I was familiar with, like the, like the grunting noise. I don't even know how to describe it. The kid that makes the meowing sound mm. and like the disjointed movements and stuff like that were things that kind of kind of seeped into the popular culture that I was familiar with just through, kind of through osmosis. So um, I got the gist of it, but I don't think I ever, had I known how odd the pacing and the timeline of this movie was, I probably would have been a lot more intrigued by it. But when I was 15, nobody I knew cared about that kind of thing. So they were just like, it was so scary mm -hmm. or, or whatever. Um, but it did come on sort of like a mini wave that made a huge impact of uh, what I only heard referred to as J-horror after the fact, but like mm. remi American remakes of Japanese horror movies. Sure, yeah. As specifically as like PG-13 horror movies for American audiences, um, which I believe The Grudge was, right? I think yeah, so. Yeah, The Grudge was um, a remake of the movie Juon, which mm -hmm. I'm not totally sure I'm pronouncing correctly, but 
um, which came out two years earlier, which was basically just a Japanese version by the same director mm-hmm. of this, I think, exact same story. I haven't seen the original Japanese version. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine it's even scarier, and I'm not ready for that. <laughs> so, I, and that's something that I did think was interesting, because um, another thing I didn't know about it going in, and I noticed when I saw the credits that was intriguing, was that this is a, a Sam Raimi production, which I don't know mm-hmm. if that name means anything to you. Probably his biggest earning movie was the first, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Oh. But his claim to fame originally before that was he made an independent horror film in the in 1979 when he and his friends were like 20. They found a cabin in the woods and they shot a, a little movie called Evil Dead, which if you oh. haven't seen it, that's one thing, but you've probably heard of it. Sure. And it was a huge hit. It was a major success in terms of, you know, uh, returns on budget. Um, and, and that kind of catapulted him instantly into being... Um, a relatively sought-after horror film director. Mm-hmm. So I knew Sam Raimi, and I knew that he has done some releasing of horror movies through his Ghost House uh, oh, label. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was immediately hooked in. I, I was, I'll be honest with you, I was very prepared to just half-watch this movie and not really give it a chance, but seeing Sam Raimi's name in the credits made me change my mind. Uh, half-watch, like, not pay attention, not half-watch, like, through your fingers. Correct, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But... I, I was also intrigued because not only was the director the same as the Japanese version, but a ton of the high build crew were also Japanese. And I don't know if they worked on the original version, but I thought that was interesting because I know that a lot of times when movies get remade from especially a majority non-white foreign country Mm -hmm. for English language and specifically American audiences, they get heavily accused of whitewashing. Right. Which I don't want to get down that rabbit hole right now, but... I did think that this was a really strong choice to like bring in a bunch of crew from the nation that the movie takes place in and was the original uh, like culture that the film was based around. Right. Yeah. Looking through the credits, it's a ton of Japanese names and you can tell like a lot of, you know, most of the cast, you know, the, there's of course the main characters who are white, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of like, it's clearly set in Tokyo. There's a lot of the cast that's Japanese. I honestly want to watch the original just to see if, like, what they did was sub out those, like, that family and then those two main characters, I guess. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like it would have been pretty easy just because they really, all they had to do was be like, okay, so this is an American student. And, oh, what a coincidence. It's an American family. So it's really just, like, two groups of Americans. It's not, Mm -hmm. I guess it's not that much of a stretch. The biggest stretch to me was the fact that the, uh, um... The guy Alex with the glasses, mm-hmm. who, by the way, is Ted Raimi, Sam Raimi's brother, oh. uh, and a very bad actor who appears <laughs> in every Sam Raimi movie. I don't know why he had to be American. That didn't really, that is the part that didn't really make a lot of sense to me, working yeah. at this place that, like, facilitates uh, caretaking volunteers for, you know, in Tokyo or wherever. I thought that was kind of an odd decision, but whatever. Yeah, I think, so, the Rotten Tomatoes score for this is not very good. It was 38%, <laughs> which seems pretty in line with every movie we've chosen so far. But it, a lot of what the, you know, the critique of it was, was either it was unmemorable or just the plot wasn't there. You know, it was scary enough in its scary moments, which there's a lot of, mm-hmm. but then it's the connective tissue just isn't really strong, which I agree with. Like the plot, I don't, I don't understand what her job is. Oh, okay. She's a student slash a caretaker. Yeah. And the timeline, it just doesn't, none of those things really make any sense, but you don't really look at them long enough to care. Everything else is like moving so fast. So it was unfortunate. And I I thought kind of ironic that in the opening credit sequence, it has the motif of like the hair, but it's like strands and, Mm -hmm. you know, in sort of, film school parlance it's like when you tug on threads tugging on strands it's supposed to like go someplace but ironically in this movie when you tug on strands they don't really go anywhere yeah like they telegraphed for example like this is a minor thing but like uh sarah michelle geller's boyfriend First of all, when the first scene that we see him, he's like, I'm going to be late for my architecture midterm. Yep. Nobody talks like that. Nobody says, I'm late for the subject of a midterm midterm. So <laughs> I was like, maybe that's going to come back. And it did come back when you see him reading a Japanese architecture textbook. And that's yes. the last time they mention it. But they made a real strong point of he's an architecture student. Mm-hmm. I assume that was just their attempt at, you know, establishing his character. I don't it's know. It's generic male job. Like, architect is... I read something about how it's, like, one of the most overrepresented. Because, like, 
every dude in every movie or series is an architect. Ted from How I Met Your Mother, an architect. And you just, you go through and there's... Go on, name another over, architect. Go on, do uh, it, do it. Now you're going to put me on the spot. Uh, this guy, who is an architect in training. Touche. Um, yeah, it, I think Plus, it's just a generic dude profession. And if he was really an architecture student, if they'd done one iota of homework, they would know that he would always be in studio. Be like, oh, I can't investigate this haunted house because I'm in studio. Whoever's listening that knows anybody that's an architecture student, you'll get it. You know. Um, back to the hair thing, though. I feel like just this period of horror movies had that obsession. The Ring came out literally two years mm-hmm. before, and I feel like we were really in that moment of like just pale, long-haired girls haunting people to death like it was just it was on trend so i yeah you're right and it's interesting that you brought that up because a former roommate of mine was actually super into korean movies Mm. and this is super random but he uh, uh he told me one time that asian east asian cultures have this weird thing about hair concealing your face where that's considered like cultural shorthand for being just pure dark soul evil whoa which i didn't know that and i don't know how accurate that is but it's like i started noticing this as like a pattern even in like some like campier action movies that were made in like korea or japan or whatever Mm -hmm. like you have characters who are like supposed to be the worst of the worst and they have hair concealing their faces so Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, so i mean that's but i feel like that that did become like one of the more iconic carryovers of this like japanese horror micro explosion of that era True. And I mean, it's effective. It's super creepy. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's kind of start at the beginning here. Like, first thing, like, in the opening of this film, they have text on screen that said, that talks about the uh, um, the idea that when a, when a person dies in a fit of rage or something like that. And so I thought, oh, interesting. So anger is going to be, like, a theme in this movie? It's not. I mean, spoiler yeah. alert, it is not. They don't really explore it at all, which seems like a huge wasted opportunity. Right. Which was kind of, with the logline I read, It's that's the thing that sticks out to me. Rage comes up, and at some point, um, it's like the police inspector mm-hmm. says exactly that to the main character, Sarah Michelle Geller, and it basically recites what's on that title card mm-hmm. to her. But yeah, we never really explore the idea of rage. Like, she, yeah, I guess this is a spoiler. I guess we can just jump right in. But like, why not? <laughs> the, the grudge, the woman, is, and her son and their cat are all killed when her husband is in a fit of rage. But other than that, we don't ever see anyone angry. We don't see her We never see the angry. angry husband's ghost, which would have made the most sense. We see him one time, and that is so confused. That The whole metaphysics of the world are I don't even remember there. that happening, so it clearly didn't make a huge impression He's on me. He's the one who, like, drowns somebody. So, okay. Is it realtor? No, 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 no. It, was, it wasn't the realtor, and it was—I guess it was the police inspector. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about—I totally forgot about that because yeah. it was such like a non-thing. But yeah, I don't know. It—I uh, was really hoping and haven't had like sitting on edge for them to like kind of explore that idea of like anger and that they were going to resolve it by having some kind of uh, like addressing the the rage thing. Well, they didn't address the rage thing and also didn't resolve the movie. There yeah. was zero resolution to this movie, which. We can we can we can kind of dial it back a little bit on that, mm-hmm. but they like there wasn't even any kind of like particularly strong colors that would have like indicated anger or anything like that. Like the only bright colors in the whole movie, I felt like were the two gas cans that the policeman had at the um, end. Yeah, true. Other than that, everything is just shades of blah. Yeah, I mean, especially starting off with that like title sequence is very or the the intro credits. It's like a mm-hmm. very stark red and mm-hmm. black, and yeah, we don't really see we don't see red. We see a lot more blue and gray. Real quick, before we get too far into this, in my notes, I'm noticing that I've got so many things that this movie did right, so many things this movie also did wrong. So, mm-hmm. real quick, I want to run down the things that I've got on my list for things that they did wrong. Oh, okay. I thought yes. were dumb. One, anger not explored. Sure. We talked about that. Two, when Yoko is going to explore the attic, she does that thing that horror movies do where it's like, I'm going to use a lighter to explore right now instead of waiting two seconds and grabbing a flashlight. Yep. Okay. Also... The way too specific thing about I'm going to be late for my architecture midterm. Nobody cares what midterm you have. It doesn't. Nobody talks like that. Uh, he's an architect. He's an architect. He yeah, we got Doug it. Doug is an architect. Uh, when the family, when the American family is being shown around the house by the realtor, they have that one scene where uh, somebody says, hey, where's mom? As though they just noticed that she wasn't with them, like one foot away from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also did that thing where uh, when Sarah Michelle Gellar is investigating the professor who killed himself and he... he she talks to the his wife, 
she shows a photo that says, this is from our first date. Who takes a photo on the first date? <laughs> I've never heard of anybody in it real life. It was a memorable a... date. Maybe I they guess. went somewhere. I don't know. Interesting. Um, also, Bill Pullman's outfit of the cargo pants with the sport coat was super distracting. He's a professor. Yeah, with no, like, professors have no fashion sense, obviously. That's, that's a um, and then also, finally, the jump scare non-ending. That is, it, it was such a letdown. Yeah. I thought, after everything else that happened... I was like, surely this is going someplace. This has to be going someplace. No, it just stops. Like, the movie just stops. Yeah. And I was thinking at one point, like, there, the scene where Sarah Michelle Gellar meets with the detective on the roof, mm-hmm. I thought for sure he was going to jump off. Oh, yeah. And sure. I was thinking how funny it would be if, even after he didn't jump off, if it was just like, he walks away, credits. Because the movie would just end. And then, unfortunately, the Pretty movie much. <laughs> actually ended with, like, she's in the morgue. There's a ghost. Credits. Yeah. I mean, really the whole movie is like in service to these like really scary moments. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it does most of those well. What I would add to that list, number one, when we're introduced to um, Doug and Karen, Sarah Michelle. I I, I forgot he even I kept calling him Mark. And then at one point she said (laughs) Doug. He looks like a Mark. He looks like a Mark. But we, as we're introduced to them as a couple, he is... Looking for his clean clothes by like smelling yep. all the clothes on the floor. <laughs> Typical guy. And then she's like, it's in the bottom drawer. Like he fucking didn't check the dresser for his clean clothes. Like I'm going to add that to the list of things they did wrong <laughs> because that is just completely unrealistic. Also 30 year old, 20 year olds, which is like one of my favorite things that happens <laughs> in movies. I don't even know. Because were they in grad school? Were they Who in college? knows? It's so like, hard to tell. What was she even studying if she was working full time as a caretaker, but this was her first job and... I don't know. And she's a volunteer, apparently. So, I love Sarah Michelle Gellar. I gotta admit, she doesn't have a ton of range. Mm -hmm. And even still, I felt like she was underutilized here. Like, they gave her less to do than she could handle, which is saying a lot, I feel like. (laughs) Yeah, there's really not... There's so many different characters that end up getting haunted that you kind of don't really get too deep on any of them. Like what you're saying, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Doug are kind of the main character, the main relationship we care about. She's definitely the main character. But we don't really know her that well. We don't spend that much time with her. We spend all this time with the other family, but not enough to really know what their deal is or care about them. Yeah. yeah. There's some metaphysics things that I would add to as as cons, but those are deeper discussions. <laughs> Again, though, they did a lot of things that I thought were really interesting. Like the scene, the first time we see a ghost is a lot earlier than I would have expected because I think I've been kind of conditioned by the Jaws style, where mm-hmm. you know something is present, but you don't really see it for a long time. But in this one, in like scene two, you got Yoko in the attic with that stupid lighter. And what I thought was so interesting about it, what, I, what makes you think that uh, Takashi Shimizu is a good director, sort of, is that we saw the ghost very clearly about two seconds before the character saw the ghost. Uh-huh. Which I thought was very effective because then you know exactly what's about to happen yeah and you have enough time to dread it and still be scared by the jump yeah that i mean the the scares in this movie are so good and just like thinking about it now i had totally forgotten a lot of the plot i remembered sarah michelle geller was like a caretaker and whatever there's the catatonic woman all the other things totally forgot but like i vividly remembered the moments that were going to scare me we start off the movie I don't even, is it like 10 minutes in even with the ghost? Yeah, it's, it's very early. It's before we, I think it's before, yeah, it's before you even meet Sarah Michelle Gellar, who mm-hmm. again is ostensibly the main character. And for me, strictly going off of the trailer that I saw a, more than a decade ago, I thought this whole movie was going to be just about her, which it's not. And that brings me to the second major thing that I thought was super interesting was the fact that this is a horror movie that is structured very much like a detective movie Mm. where you've got the actual police detectives who play a much bigger part than they would in like a more conventional horror film. Mm. You know, a lot of times you'll have like a police investigator who is inevitably going to be the victim or the hero, one or the other. Mm. And, or you've got the dismissive sheriff's deputy or something like that. I was going to say, he's the naysayer, which is what I would totally expect. Mm -hmm. But like they buy in really quickly. There's like the two main police guys and they're like, well... You know, there's these legends, like mm-hmm. there was a murder here, and 
they're totally invested and they're part of the story, which, mm-hmm. I, yeah, you don't usually see. And then Sarah Michelle Gellar playing, like, which, by the way, what was her name in the movie? Karen. Karen. I All only right, know well, that because I have it right in front of fine. me. But, <laughs> but like, her also playing, like, the sleuth role was... Mm-hmm. That's like a perfect that that element seems like a perfect example of this entire movie because it's like a good idea, but they don't really do enough with it. Yeah, she tracked down the uh, wife of the college professor and interviewed her about what happened, but that's like the most investigatory thing that she does in the whole movie. Yeah, everything else is just kind of reactionary. Which mm-hmm. I want to see more of that junior sleuth kind of thing going on. And everything unravels pretty cool. Like we learn pretty much everything pretty quickly there's Mm -hmm. not a lot of like oh putting the pieces together it's like all right she's in all of these pictures she's clearly obsessed with this guy they find their her diary we know Mm -hmm. the whole story we know someone was murdered there which end do we know the whole story because we need to get again let's hold off on that because i feel like this is gonna be the bulk of our discussion trying Mm -hmm. to suss this one out a couple other things. Oh, I forgot to mention this part and the things that I thought were very stupid was it's cold enough outside to be wearing a sweater and a coat, but not cold enough to not give the catatonic elderly woman a sponge bath on the porch. <laughs> That's a good point. I definitely didn't notice that, but like, accurate. Even in that same, in, in one shot, in one continuous shot, you go from Sarah Michelle Gellar in her sweater hanging up laundry and brrr, shivering to, oh, hey, elderly lady, let me, like, pull down your hospital gown and wipe you down with a cold cloth, with a wet cloth on the porch outside. Yeah, good point. She's, you know, she's new. This is her first day flying <laughs> solo. She doesn't know those things yet. I guess. And then also, uh, the elements of, like, there is no safe place. That, I thought, was one of the most effective, scary, world-building things that they had in this whole movie I loved the scene where the sister is in her apartment mm-hmm. when she thinks there's a something. What does she do? She jumps in her bed and pulls the covers over herself. Oh, yeah. That's such like a primal like little kid thing. Mm-hmm. And that's not safe. I thought that was a super effective thing. Which if I hadn't seen that moment in the trailer, mm-hmm. like they actually show like the ghost under the blanket, which I thought was super dumb but yeah. of them to put it in the trailer not in the movie right but Bad choice. i thought it was crazy and then like even closer and you got sarah michelle geller in the shower and she finds the fingers on the back of her head for a second Ugh. that body horror element yep. but again they put that in the trailer like two of the scariest moments from this movie they put in the trailer yeah those are like the iconic moments that i i had kind of forgotten about until we got to that moment i was like oh shit i know what's gonna happen but yeah they they totally did reveal them early but that, the idea of you do something and then it's inevitable that this thing is going to follow you everywhere is, I think that's like the number one thing that freaked me out when I saw this movie. It's an interesting uh, hybrid of like the haunted house trope mm-hmm. with um, Final Destination logic. Yeah, yeah. So, it, which, is, you know, the haunted house trope is like as old as time where it's like this place mm-hmm. is cursed. This place is like haunted by some spirit or whatever it's always like a specific location but then they've also got movies where it's like you have a curse put on you mm-hmm. you don't really see those two come together really yeah like did you see crimson peak for example mm-hmm. i kept thinking about the ghosts from crimson peak and and the ghosts in this movie where it's like the ghosts in this movie are so obsessed with just like anybody they encounter they have mm-hmm. to torment until they die yeah. Whereas in Crimson Peak, the whole idea, spoilers for Crimson Peak, but the whole idea was that ghosts are there as warnings. Right. So they're there to help people yeah. in any way that they can. And, you know, I I don't know if that's, like, a cultural, which, by the way, like, I have a passing familiarity with, like, Japanese folk culture, and mm-hmm. it is extensive. Like, there are bizarre, like, folk creatures and spirits and things like that associated Mm -hmm. with everything. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know if this was, like, specifically drawing on a particular, like, long-standing traditional narrative or what. I I honestly have no idea. But if that was the case, that might explain a little bit more. And if we were more familiar with, like, traditional Japanese culture, it might make more sense. Right. Not the case, though. Yeah. And this one was made for American audiences. So, you know. They don't get that pass on this one. Although, you know, having the Japanese director, 
I don't know that he ever made another Amer- like English language film. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he ever made an English language film before this or a film specifically for American audiences. I don't know if this is a case of like maybe Sam Raimi getting super excited to have the original director and it's like, no, 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 I want him to do it. And this is a director who is just not familiar with like American cultural knowledge. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, there's so many questions that are left on left unanswered. Most of all, what the fuck actually happened in this movie? Like, let's get... Okay, now let's, let's do it. Let's get into this. I have no idea... What actually happened in chronological order here? Okay, yeah. Starting with the timeline. When did they move into this house? Like three days ago? It... Yeah, no idea. No clue. When you're talking about they, when did they move to the house? You're talking about Tom the Cruise's family. cousin and the mom from Working from a Dream, right? Is it? Is that really Tom Cruise's cousin? Yes. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I'd seen him something else. So the family that lives, there's the woman who's catatonic, mm-hmm. who is like our Sarah Michelle Gellar's entry into the house. She had moved there with her son and daughter-in-law, who I guess got a job in Japan, but also her daughter has a job in Japan. This Mm -hmm. whole family has somehow independently, I assume, moved to Japan because there's no... Who knows? Because the implication there is that he recently got a job in Japan because when they're looking at the house with the realtor, he says, like, if it doesn't work out, I'll tell him it's not working out and I'll go back to the States. Right. Okay, so he's only been there for a short period of time. Right. He just got transferred there for his job. He brought his wife. Assumingly, he brought his mother because she can't take care of herself. His sister also works in Japan. Right. In Tokyo, specifically. But not long enough to be super fluent in Japanese, apparently, when she's yeah. distressed. And she goes to, like, the security office when she sees the ghost. And she's, like, talking to the security guard, and she could barely get two words together in Japanese. Yeah. And the guard has to be, like, the guard has to do that classic foreigner in a place frequented by English speakers where they're, like, okay, no, 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 just, like, I'll speak English. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Yeah. So I guess we'll just accept that they're all in Japan for different reasons. But the mom, the son and daughter-in-law are killed very soon after they move in. Apparently. And Alex... The guy with the glasses. Her who boss, was like the, Sarah Yeah, Michelle Sarah Michelle Gellar's okay. boss. Everyone has just the most generic names. Yeah, like, they do. It's very hard to keep Alex and Karen and Doug, Matthew, yeah. Jennifer, <laughs> Emma's the grandma. Yeah. So... Apparently I can remember them all, though. That so. was impressive. I'm actually very impressed because I... Mm-mm. I was paying attention because I was like, I don't know who any of these people are. And so anytime they said their name, I was like, all right. You need to have like I one of those like Matthew. serial killer boards with like <laughs> yarn to figure this movie An out. An obsession board. Just yeah. like... So, okay, Matthew is son, too. But yeah, like, Alex even, he mentions something, and I assume this is them trying to clarify what was happening. Says something about, like, uh, yeah, I haven't heard from uh, Matthew and his wife. The, the only time I talked to them was when they were setting this up originally. Ever since then, it's been from assistance. I'm like, okay, not helpful. I don't know how long ago that was. Yeah, when was that? Was that three days? Like, some... So they moved in. The people got killed, but everyone else who goes in that house gets killed pretty quickly like it's a yeah. matter of days mm-hmm. so yoko has been going to take care of emma because she's the original caretaker she goes to take care of emma for how long for how long no because idea. she she comes in and there's a note from jennifer that says like oh i just went out for a walk mm-hmm. but jennifer is dead right and then yoko dies but then we also see that the ghosts are able to impersonate people did the ghost write that note who yeah. knows? I'm like, why would you do that as a ghost? To, like, throw people off your trail? But you're going to kill them anyway. They're right. already in the house. Like, those ghosts go out of their way to torment people. Yeah. And to, like, make it convenient to torment people. The whole part where, like, the ghost impersonated Matthew just to get into the house when we already know that the ghosts can transport themselves through doors. Yeah, the metaphysics are very tenuous in Like, this. what are the rules here? <laughs> It doesn't make any sense. Because, like, bodies, too. Like, the bodies of the people they kill. What happened? Towards the end, we see Yoko's body, which Which, is horrifying. Yeah, and why did they rip her jaw off? Is that relevant to something? Is that a reference to, like, something that happened to them? My thought at first... Were they impersonating her? For a while, no. I thought Yoko is alive. They just ripped her jaw off and she walked back to her office or something. That would make more sense. Than whatever like, that's happened. The thing. It doesn't make any sense. Because, like, at least that gives her a motivation. Like, she's going back to a place she knows. She's, like, basically yeah. dying slowly from this horrific wound. And she's going back to somewhere she recognizes. She's a good employee and she feels bad that she didn't call in and she's been gone for so many days. I don't know. Because <laughs> then what happens to Sarah's body? 
Like Who she knows? gets killed in her apartment. And then don't they say something about they like go to her apartment? Okay, the fact that you're her? saying Sarah, I first thought Sarah Michelle Geller. No, but sorry. I know who you're talking Sarah about. Sarah is now. the yes. name of the sister who gets killed in her bed. See that? Okay, aspiring screenwriters, do me personally, Kyle Abair, a favor, and please do not name character A the name of the actor yeah. who plays character B. Please yeah. don't do that. Especially if character B is actually like the main character, the only really recognizable <laughs> actor in this. I mean, it would be better if you just name characters based on the first name of the actor. That'd be fine. But yeah. Let's talk about Bill Pullman's timeline. Mm-hmm. Because okay, that's yeah. the least clear to me, in personally. Okay, yeah. So in the first scene of the whole movie, he is standing on the balcony because he has obviously been tormented by ghosts. Mm-hmm. Um, his 20 years younger wife says, what's up? And he's like, mm, nothing, dead. Jumps okay, off. Okay, you caught the age difference thing too. Of course I, I did. pointed that out and the person I watched it with was like, oh, of course you'd notice that. And I was like, It no, was very obvious. Very he obvious. He was 51, she was 31. They yeah. say it very apparently Which, in the article about uh, his death. I don't know. At 31, I feel like she might have been lying about that a little bit. I she looked a little older that. than 31. But either way, either way. So I thought, ooh. So maybe he was having an affair with a student or something? And uh, that never came up. Not even once. They just glossed straight over that. Which, I mean, that's fine. Look, people have age differences in a relationship. It's whatever. Oh, you thought the wife. You thought he was his wife was his student. I thought the wife might have been like a former student. And that led me to think maybe he was having an affair with another student. Okay, yeah. I think it would have been... I was hoping to give some credence to the, like, the woman who becomes the grudge... Is I like how you're referring to this grudge? character as the grudge. Was she the grudge, or is it just about <laughs> having a grudge? I think it's just about having a grudge, but even that oh, doesn't okay. make any sense thematically because it's like they've got a grudge against somebody they just met because they walked into your house? Yeah. That's not a grudge. Like, See, the definition of a grudge is something you hold against somebody for a long time. Yeah. Like, it's the rage thing. Like, it's, it's a theme that's kind of there, but just never really, never really explored. But... I, yeah, I thought they would give some kind of like, oh, actually, he had been having an affair with her and cut it off or something. But really, it seems like he said something about she had a class. he She took one of his classes mm-hmm. and now writes him all these love letters. So, okay, I want to tell you what my perception of this timeline was or please. what was actually happening. And then please like let me know if you think that something different happened. My perception of it with no like headcanon, like legitimately just trying to take what's on screen and making it make sense, is that Bill Pullman's a professor, the Japanese woman who got murdered is a former student who was also a stalker of Bill Pullman. Yes. He didn't know that. He has a relationship with his wife, which who knows where that came from. It's just people meet people. Mm-hmm. And apparently white people meet white people in, in Japan and specifically Americans meet Americans in Japan. Anyhow, so he got married have this, you know, nice life, and this former student was stalking him and sending him letters mm-hmm. constantly, and he's like, I don't know who this woman is, and I guess she was a former student or whatever. So finally he decides to go back and investigate, discovers that the stalker's husband also knows that she is obsessed with Bill Pullman, but the husband is even crazier and ripped her face out of every photo that they had together, which is insane in a very, very specific way. Meticulously, also, yeah. like he rips them all out, and it's like, oh man, he must have been so mad. But then he also pinned them to a board, meaning yep. he like kept them yep. and he pinned them. So he... the stalker's husband finds out about the stalker's obsession. I guess crazy meets crazy, mm-hmm. and they had a kid who, for some reason, is like really banged up. I'm not sure what like a skinned knee has to do with anything, but they yeah, made it very point. obvious. And so he goes into a rage and kills the family. Bill Pullman comes to the house. That's where I have no idea. Did he come to the house? After the husband killed the family? Yes, because he finds the wife's body, and that's what, like, throws him out of the house. Like, he runs out of the house right, after he finds right, the body. That's right, you're right, you're right. The boy is... He's got to also be dead. But he rescues the boy. He finds the boy conscious in the house. Right. But the boy, like, throughout the movie, even Sarah Michelle Geller sees him conscious in the how like right. he's just much more like out and about than the mom the mom is like shadowy and like just yeah pops out of places 
he's like the one standing in the stairwell with just like the big eyes. Well, he's a little kid. He's not good at being a ghost. Yeah. He's learning. Um, <laughs> Even but... with actual time aging, he'd only be like 11. So Yeah. He was so cute. He was so cute. Until he turned blue. That was creepy. But like he was just a really cute kid. Also, sidebar, I, I thought it was very interesting that a Japanese director thought that the creepiest way to make a Japanese actor look creepy is to make their eyes super round. <laughs> I thought Fair, that was great. Know. I thought that was super interesting. Uh, and also, he was right because they were fucking terrifying. Yeah, looking. it was really creepy. But that's so true, too. I'm looking at the posters, and, like, <laughs> all of them are very... They emphasize those big, round mm-hmm. eyes. Like, Are Japanese people just terrified when they see Americans or, like, or oh, other man, Anglo people? Like, they're all ghosts. Yeah, um, like, is it just, like, something very unsettling for them? I don't know. We'll see. White people. Um, <laughs> the timeline, though. So, I think the kid is already dead. Everybody's dead. I think. Everybody's dead when Bill Pullman gets there? I think. Because the Cause, husband is <sighs> so absent. Like... He is the one who kills him. He's the murderer. But we see him like two times. Yeah, he is the angriest of them all. He's the rage. And he we never is the see rage. Him. He is the one who has the most legitimate, like, the, he is the one who has the biggest claim to having a grudge. Yeah. And he's the grudge. He is the grudge. And yet we never see him. Yeah. We see his flashback where he's like, ah, like murdering everyone. And we see one point his ghost murder but like why bring his ghost in at all if you're only gonna bring him in once it just makes more questions than answers he obviously was not that important to the story as it was being written like he was not that important to the writer whose name escapes me but i feel like he was american Hmm. um i know obviously the writer of the japanese version was probably japanese but like the writer of this version stood out because he had one of the only american names in the crew so steven susco steven or stefan susco stefan susco if his name is stefan i hate him even more pull that up what's what is his other writing credits? You got anything good on there? Because I've never uh, heard of this guy. Other writing credit Grudge that I two. see. The Grudge 2. Yes! <laughs> Nailed it. Very nice. Let's see who wrote Juan. It's If it's Steven Susco, I'm going to lose my mind. Oh my god, amazing. Oh, uh, Takashi Shimizu. That's the director. The director wrote Takashi Shimizu. the original. Okay, yeah. interesting. Oh boy. I don't know what to think about that. Maybe he's just like a shitty writer and a good director. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I... Stranger things have happened. Yeah, and I always assumed that the Japanese version was probably better. But but also, Maybe. he has a writing credit. Um, okay. But that might just be for writing Juan. So... Yeah, that would make sense. Like a story by credit or something like that? Yeah. Oh, man. Steven uh, Susco had the screenplay credit. This is one of those things where I'm not sure if it's, like, me just not understanding, like, the cultural barrier. And maybe, like, some of these things would be like, oh, yeah, obviously, to, like, a yeah. Japanese audience. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Boy, You're half boy. Japanese, right? I'm, I'm a quarter Japanese. You're a quarter Japanese. Okay. But you'd have to go four generations back to get to Japan. Gotcha. So, like, we've been American for the last... 110 years so naturally in like the 20s 30s 40s 50s 60s a lot of my japanese family was just, or all of my japanese family was just like no nah, we're american this is just like the word just super american this is how we do things we eat hamburgers and hot dogs uh, yeah so like a lot of that cultural stuff is it's lost on me for sure mm-hmm. so like we have no first-hand knowledge of like what is modern japanese culture especially mm-hmm. but clearly i mean it's it's become like a cultural meme in the western world mm-hmm. that japan comes up with just like wild shit on the regular yeah. you know it's like yeah. you go on the internet like everything weird comes from japan right there it's like the scariest movies are supposed to be like japanese or korean yeah and then like the you know most imaginative and whatever yeah. Like, you're always kind of on those extreme ends of fantasy, I guess. And it would be easy for someone to say, like, oh, that's because, like, Americans are scared of things that are foreign or whatever. But there's, like, hundreds of foreign countries out there that are not Japan. Mm -hmm. But Japan specifically is, like, known for, like, weird, scary stuff. But I don't know, like, if a Japanese audience would think, oh, yeah, this movie 100% adds up. My theory is that Juon, the original mm-hmm. version of The Grudge in Japan, made a lot of money for the same reason The Grudge made a lot of money in America, is because of teenagers. Mm, yeah. Who don't give a shit how much the movie adds up. They just want jump scares. Right. And I mean, it did. It delivered jump scares. Yes. Like, if you don't care about the plot, they are there. And I actually... Did you find this movie scary? I found it scary in parts. Mm-hmm. I was distracted by how boring it was in the non-scary parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... Also, the scary parts were kind of telegraphed. I mean, that didn't make them less scary, but you could tell from a long way off. Mm -hmm. Although, I will say, one of the things that I forgot to mention that I really admired were the moments of 
silence. Because mm-hmm. this movie did have creepy music on the soundtrack, but there were a lot of moments where there was just room tone. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really effective. Yeah. There, to me, there is nothing scarier than music cutting out right before mm-hmm. something's going to happen because you don't know like when it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But you know just from like film literacy that, oh, it's, something's going down here right. in a minute. Was there a moment you remember that like that happened? I feel like it happened in the office building sequence mm-hmm. a couple of times because that's one of those things where, you know, the idea of a familiar environment being different, partly at night, partly being deserted, mm-hmm. is very palpable to me personally. I don't know why that's just like one of those things that like I always kind of thought was scary. Like, you know, I'm familiar with this place, but some circumstances can make it terrifying. Yeah. You know? Let's talk a little bit about the, the jump scares mm-hmm. because, you know, we there were a few to pick from. Yeah. Was there one in particular that, that's, that for lack of a better term, jumps out at you as one of the uh, more effective ones? This is, like, this movie does kind of have just tentpole scares. Like, re-watching <laughs> it, the things that came back to me were those moments that I was like, oh, okay, this is where this thing happens and it's very specific. Instead of kind of being this, like, yeah, there's kind of the highs and lows of, like, it's either this super big moment that's going to happen that's terrifying, or you're kind of in those in-between moments where yep. nothing happens. One of the moments that I remembered from my first viewing was um, when Sarah Michelle Geller is telling her boyfriend about the house and how she thinks something weird is up. And she looks out the bus window, and then the woman's face is yeah, right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that is terrifying. That caught me by surprise. Yeah, that's one of the genuinely like surprising moments because everything else is very like you're saying. There's a big kind of lead up. It's dark. Mm-hmm. It's like there's something happening. There's some kind of indicator that like you're about to see something scary. That one is just like mm-hmm. out of nowhere. It's the middle of the day, and I think that's what really got me the first middle time. Was of like, day, it's the day, surrounded by people in broad, like in yeah. public. Yeah, yeah. Those moments that you're usually safe in a horror movie. Not that time. Um, and, it, you know, it, I don't know if you ever saw the original Halloween, but, like, mm-hmm. they're, one of the things about it, um, and this is not a spoiler, but, like, the one of the things about it is that that made it so iconic and uh, that people reference in terms of what makes it so scary is that a lot of it takes place during the daylight hours, and you see the killer. Mm-hmm. The characters don't see the killer, but you see the killer in broad daylight in, like, a suburban neighborhood full of people. Uh-huh. And that's super terrifying. But that's, again, that is one of those things that this movie does really well is taking what you would normally consider to be a safe, secure, comfortable place and violating it Yeah. with these super aggressive ghosts. Oh, so aggressive. Uh, I mean, the one of the more horrifying moments, I feel like, is the when you see Yoko again towards the end. That yep. part has yep. always yep. stuck with me. And then, of course, at the end, there's the very end, there's kind of this huge, like, just everything comes yeah. together. They're all in the house. A bunch of people die. And she comes down the stairs in that, like, the most iconic, like, the sound, that movement. She comes out so, of the plastic bag. Yeah. The, that, I thought, was, this is the movie nerd to me coming out. I was less scared by that <laughs> than thinking... Man, this is a super cool effect. The way they made a human actor look like stop motion animation was yeah. incredible. That's rewatching it. I was like, did they do that with claymation? Because she almost yeah. looked like she was claymation. How the fuck did they do that? I have no idea. The only thing I can think of is that they had her go through the the physical motions and pulled frames Drop out. Frames. Yeah, yeah, they just dropped yeah. frames. Yeah. Oh. Uh. That, but yeah, that was effective, but also it's like, I, one of the movies that's on my list for this podcast is The Thing, which uh-huh. when you see it, you, you'll understand what I'm saying here, but like The Thing does a lot of practical effects mm-hmm. that are terrifying, mm-hmm. because it was like 1982, and so when I watch it, it's like simultaneously like thrilling because it's scary, but at the same time, I'm like, how the fuck did they make this thing? Yeah. I think one thing that's impressive about this movie and also on rewatch was maybe, I don't know how I felt about it. They give the ghost a lot of FaceTime with the mm-hmm. camera. Like like you're saying, like we see the ghost before yeah. she does, but like almost every time you see them, you see an up close of them. Yeah. It's not shadowy and left to yeah. the imagination. It is 
on their face. Yeah. And I think rewatching it and knowing where the scares were going to be, I was actually looking and was kind of like, eh, like seeing their faces was not always super effective, but it's impressive. It takes some gall to be like, I'm going to show you the ghost a lot and yeah. I'm still going to expect it to be scary. The way they kind of mess with your expectations, like by doing that, they're able to mess with your expectations. Like you see the ghost before Yoko sees the ghost and the ghost kills Yoko. Mm -hmm. Later on, you see the closet all taped up, which who did that? Was that Emma? Did Emma tape up that door? Oh Who God, knows? Who did that? Who knows? Uh, Why did, didn't they kill Emma? Did, did Yoko escape and tape up that door? What? Is that what happened? I have no like. I have no idea. Because that was the door to where Yoko was yes, killed. Yes, correct. Yeah. Okay. Did she escape and then tape up the door before she left? Well, I feel like the ghosts were kind of covering their tracks. Uh, in a lot very of points. sloppily. Yeah. So. And why? But yeah. So we see the ghost when it attacks Emma, or not Emma. When you see the ghost when it attacks Yoko, then. Sarah Michelle Geller comes to the house. She's like, oh, why is this closet all taped up? And then we see, like, from the one angle, all the cats drawn on the wall. Mm -hmm. That was effective for me, for sure. Like, you see all the cats going on the wall. It's like, well, this is ominous. Mm -hmm. And you're expecting, oh, there's a, we know there's a ghost in there. Mm -hmm. Is she going to see the ghost? No, she sees the little kid. Who is a ghost? Who is a ghost, but she doesn't She's know that She's not the yet? ghost. Right, right. He's not that ghost. Yeah, so anyway, so things like that. By avoiding what has become the more traditional way of like withholding reveals mm -hmm. they definitely allow themselves a lot of freedom to be like oh yeah the audience has no idea what's going to happen mm -hmm. anything can happen we saw the ghost in the first 15 minutes like literally anything can happen now but it's so frustrating to think about because it's not all good no i yeah why did she come out of the bag at the end She'd already been out and about. So you talk about this bag. I honestly don't remember a bag. There was like a plastic bag that her body was in it when the professor found the body. Oh, oh, oh. wait. Are you talking about... When she comes down the stairs. Yeah. She like comes out of... Ugh. I don't she even like thinking about it. It's creeping me out. Yeah. Like she kind of crawls out of a bag and comes down the stairs. Oh, I don't remember that. Boy, it's, oh boy. It's like the bag her body was in, but it's like, but why? Because you're already, you've already been out and about. You've yeah, already also been... dead for three years. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't be a body bag. It would just be like... Yeah, wait. Where was her body? Oh my God. Well, okay. Now, granted, the one Jaws-like moment that they did employ here was that we saw a glimpse of the herky-jerky mo motion in the office building sequence mm -hmm. on the stairwell, but only a glimpse of that. And I think that that was a very smart use of like, okay, we know this is the scariest fucking thing that's going to be in this movie. This is mm. the scariest looking thing. So we're going to save that to the end and give a taste of it. But for the rest of it, it was just like, oh yeah, ghosts. We see them. They're all over the place. They're um, everywhere. But yeah. Oh, we didn't even talk about this part was that the uh, the whole deal with... Did Sarah Michelle Geller go back in time? Was she seeing ghosts of ghosts? Was she see because like, because oh, yeah, yeah. she was in she was directly interacting with Bill Pullman in that house when Bill Pullman was investigating the house. Was she or was it one of those like oh he's looking right at me oh just kidding he's looking well, behind me and the he walks whole, through me. It would be a hell of a coincidence because when she was reaching for the photo and he was reaching for the photo he specifically acted as though he felt something. Oh right. You know. And there was a lot of like it was very prolonged and it wasn't well explained why he was looking directly at her. No. So it seemed like they were interacting but yeah I don't like was that the ghost kind of explaining her story? Or I the ghosts did not seem super interested in making themselves well understood to yeah. anybody around them. They just wanted to fuck <laughs> Clearly, shit up. Clearly, we don't understand. They just wanted to fuck shit up. Yeah. I mean, it's not like they were interested in being exonerated by, mm -hmm. we just, we're just misunderstood. No, no, no. They just wanted to kill people or make them kill themselves. Although, uh, let's, let's think about this. If you were being tormented by ghosts and you knew that they were just going to keep fucking with you but not actually hurt you... But they, like, hurt people. They hurt Yoko. I don't know that he knows that they hurt people. Uh, that the professor knows. Yeah, they hurt Yoko. They ripped her jaw off. Which, yeah. I'm, the more I'm talking about, the more I'm thinking that she survived and she just walked back oh, to God. her office, which is even honestly scarier than her being a ghost. Yeah, that's terrifying. And then killed Alex, I guess. Because in the next scene or whatever, they're like, oh, uh, Alex dead? and Yoko are dead. Yeah. They said, wait, I missed that part. Alex is dead? Someone tells uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar... That they're dead. She, he's like, oh, like, Yoko. I, it's got to be Doug, but I don't remember specifically the scene. But somebody tells... <laughs> I don't remember specifically the names, so, you know, it's, it's fine. It's Doug. Doug is the one that sticks in my head because I was like, Doug. Mark. Ugh. And then she was like, Doug. 
someone tells her that both of them are dead. So Yoko killed him, I assume, unless like Yoko was just the warning that the I have always called her the grudge, and it's just now occurring to me that, like, that's not A what grudge that is means. like a concept and not a thing. I know a, what a person. grudge is, but I thought the grudge, and it's, like, right on her face on the poster. I don't know. But that the ghost woman was going to show up and kills him? Either way, he dies. They say, like, mm-hmm. Alex died and Yoko died. But she could totally have died from her. I think it's more interesting to say that she was, like, alive yeah, I, yeah. I feel like there is an interesting version of this movie that was like two or three drafts away. Yeah, yeah. There's just a lot of, like you're saying, threads that just don't. They, they don't go anywhere. Kinda... They don't connect anything. Yeah. Now, uh, oh, another one of the effective scares that I thought was, mm-hmm. if not not one of the bigger ones, but when the realtor finds the tub full of water and he's trying to pull Ooh, the drain yeah. out and he sees the the head. Have like, you seen Scary Movie? I think it was four. I've probably. <laughs> I think I've seen all the scary movies. I don't know how, but I think I have. <laughs> I don't know how I saw Scary Movie 4, but the mo- the scene with the realtor where he's showing him through the house, that movie came right back to me because there's they spoof that in Scary Movie mm-hmm. 4 where like all this creepy shit is happening and the realtor is just like trying to sell the house. So he's trying to like, mm-hmm. like he ends up like pushing the little kid's yeah. head back into <laughs> yeah, the right. bathtub and stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, I, I, that was actually pretty funny. So I couldn't watch that scene. Without thinking of, like, how hard this realtor is just trying to sell this fucking haunted house. Nice. Yeah. I found this movie ultimately more frustrating than scary. It mm-hmm. did have some super scary moments. Like, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. What do you think was the scariest for you? The reflection on the bus was scary. But at the same time, the tricky part about trying to make a familiar situation scary is that you still have the comfort of it being a familiar situation. So, like, on the bus, it was scary for, like, a split second, but then it's like, I'm still on the bus. I'm surrounded by normal people. Nothing can actually happen to me here without a million people knowing about it. I don't know. The more I think about it, I feel like the sequence with her, the woman jumping under her blanket was scary. Mm -hmm. Because that is such a childhood, like, nothing can get me if I'm under my blanket. Right. And that's kind of the longest horror sequence we have because it follows her from her office. We see the whole thing Kind of twice, because the police mm-hmm. officer watches it as well. Yeah, there's like a whole sequence of it kind of following her home. There's a lot of build-up to that one that the other ones don't have. Although, I, I guess probably the single scariest moment, though, it would be Yoko in back in the office. Like, mm-hmm. when, when uh, uh, Ted Raimi finds Yoko in the office, because I'm still not sure if she's a ghost or a real person. And you know, like, whatever happens, you know it's going to be bad. Because first mm-hmm. you see her walk through, and it draws it out for so long and you know as soon as you see this woman with her head bent over hunched over and like shuffling forward covered in blood you know whatever happens it's gonna be bad and so you've got such a long time to kind of build up dread by the time it finally happens it's not you know it doesn't top your expectations but like the dread is so palpable for so long i found that very scary yeah and um, with everything else, how how much screen time they give to the actually mm-hmm. scary things, like seeing her face with the jaw ripped off and her like tongue hanging out is yeah. just terrifying. And That's also, like so I said before, scary. Ted Raimi, not a great actor, but the fact that like he they actually made him act the way I feel like a normal person might, where he's like concerned but also very hesitant because this is super terrifying. Yeah, that felt real to me, and that really locked me into the the sequence mm-hmm. so i yeah that I, I think the scene with yoko with her jaw ripped off was probably the most the scariest part to me personally yeah that's fair i my the friend that made me watch this movie when i was in middle school is double jointed in probably all of her joints so <laughs> from that moment on would always just be like and i would freak me out so this is super inside baseball for, like, the arts or whatever. But, like, you, you're familiar with Rite of Spring, the uh, Igor Stravinsky ballet? Probably, if I saw it. So, it... Okay. Listeners, I hope you know what I'm talking about, because I'm about to, like, talk about something very odd. It, it debuted in 1913. It was, like, a Russian ballet. Do you remember the dinosaur sequence from Fantasia? Yeah. That's the music. Oh, okay. That super okay. disjointed, aggressive, like, stabbing violins kind of mm-hmm. thing. That was Rite of Spring, and the whole deal with the ballet is that it deals with primitive Russian cultures, mm-hmm. like v- like very, very early cultures, like almost caveman type, 
that are having basically like a springtime sacrifice to the gods or whatever. And so they make a person dance to death. And one, the original choreography of this ballet has been lost to time. It's been partially reconstructed due to painstaking research from people in the eighties who interviewed some of the original dancers who recalled it from memory. But the original actual choreography has been lost to time. One of the legends associated with Rite of Spring is that they made up the actor who's portraying the dancer who dances to death as though her back was her front so that she could move in like weird contortions that are completely unnatural and just freak the fuck out of the audience. Now, there are also legends about the premiere in Paris where there were riots in the theater because it was so off the wall Ooh. and freakish. Yeah, I know. I just got chill bumps thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, that's creepy. <laughs> and I know this story. But anyway. How do you know this story? Uh, long story, but it, it just, I, I, same, I don't know. Same way I know everything I know. It's just like I heard it someplace. But anyway, making yeah. Making it up. That was, I'm, <laughs> I'm not making it up. You can find it. But anyhow, roundabout way of saying, like, I feel like that final reveal of the ghost with like the super disjointed, like herky jerky movement movements was based on i'm not necessarily based on rite of spring but based on understanding of primal fears of unnatural movements yeah god again it's so frustrating because like these filmmakers obviously knew what scares people but not enough to form a cohesive narrative this movie ultimately left me with way more questions than answers yeah well i feel like they knew how to scare people and Everything else was secondary. They had the scares totally in the bag. Everything else, plot specifically, were just, yeah, less of a handle on. I was going to say that, like, you know, uh, Takeshi Shimizu could probably put together a pretty wicked haunted house. But also, uh, after I thought about that, I was like, you know, maybe not. Because so many of the scares are so dependent on specifically this film medium where he picks where you look Mm. he chooses what you see so again that scene where yoko's up in the attic and you see the ghost before she does you can't guarantee where somebody's gonna look when they're in a haunted house that's so based on timing and yeah all that kind of thing so it's like god i feel like he's half a good director you know you could say well the script was rewritten by an american or whatever it's like i'm sure that has something to do with it but at the same time it's like Director's got a lot of power in that kind of thing. Specifically, like, making the movie make sense. Mm-hmm. This movie doesn't make a lot of sense. That's the biggest problem with it. No. But if you're in for a good scare... Oh, for sure. I would still recommend it. Even with everything we've told you, for sure this movie is scary. And if you haven't seen it, if you like being scared, recommend it. Definitely. Yeah. And it's kind of... It's a classic. I feel like it is really indicative of its It's time. a modern classic, yeah. You know, now we're kind of more in the moment of, like... I guess the found footage and lower budget <laughs> horror movies, but it's that moment. I feel like the grudge kind of crystallizes it. I definitely would say this is one of those movies that needs to be in the Library of Congress if only because it represents a very specific moment in popular culture. Mm-hmm. Because this was a really big movie at its time of release. It was a t- cultural touchstone, frankly. I mean, mm-hmm. whether it was good or bad, it was a cultural touchstone. I feel like that's the kind of thing that needs to be recognized. And whether you like the movie or not, that's the kind of movie I feel like most people should see at some point. So, Although I do think The Ring kind of came... Like, if there can mm-hmm. only be one, The Ring came over and is the one that's going to be remembered. The Grudge is... I think they're very much of the same DNA and Without a it's going to be The Ring. And I believe you're absolutely right about that. But also, I have never seen The Ring. So. I've also never seen yeah, The Ring. Well. This was enough for me. I was, <laughs> even though The Ring came out earlier, but it was right. Yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, I, I feel like The Ring and The Grudge probably would make a good double feature, and that's all you need to know about American remakes of Japanese horror movies. And I, those are the only two memorable ones that I even know about. So, like I said, it speaks to a very specific moment in culture where you know, movies that teenagers watch are a very odd bag, mm-hmm. but worth analyzing i feel like in a bizarre kind of way so yes i'm not going to give it two thumbs up but i will say watch it Mm -hmm. so what's next week then so next week imagine if you will a movie about a uh, a driver a professional driver who gets in over his head with crime and it stars jamie fox so i've already seen baby driver so aha i'm glad you said that because this movie i feel like makes a perfect 
uh, double feature with Baby Driver. This is Michael Mann's 2004, I believe, also, uh, Collateral. Oh. It co-stars Jamie Foxx, who plays a taxi cab driver in L.A., and Tom Cruise in what I personally think might be his best role ever. Wow. As a criminal who is a professional hitman. And he hires Jamie Foxx to drive him around basically on a night of errands. Mm. And Jamie Foxx figures out what's going on. And Tom Cruise says, well, tough shit because you're still driving me around all night. It's, uh, are you familiar at all with Michael Mann? Uh, vaguely. Okay. I think. He did Heat. Okay. Uh, Thief. More recently, Public Enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, he's done a ton of really classic and also not so classic uh, crime movies, mm-hmm. mostly. He's amazing. And his style was heavily ripped off lovingly uh, by Christopher Nolan for The Dark Knight, specifically. Oh. So if you're not familiar with Michael Mann, do a quick Wikipedia search on him. He's amazing. He's one of my personal favorite directors for style. And I feel like Collateral is the last great movie that he did. Mm. And it is criminally underappreciated. So, yeah. Hmm. Collateral, Jamie Foxx, and Tom Cruise. Highly recommend. And that is my pick for next week. Oh, all right. Well, I'm excited to watch it. Especially since you, the 80s buff, is saying that Tom Cruise's best movie is from 2004. Uh, yep. That's it's, shocking. I, I, I do I'm love, shook. I do love the... I <laughs> shooketh, yeah. I shooketh. Uh, yeah, Tom Cruise is, uh, he's great in this movie. Jamie Foxx is, I've never seen Jamie Foxx bad in anything, quite frankly. Oh, no, yeah, he's he was He was great in Booty Call, for God's sakes. I did not uh, see that one. Well, you're not missing much, but he was great in it. But yeah, I am a huge 80s fan, and quite frankly, uh, Collateral is kind of a throwback to 80s style. Okay. Um, and it's, it's a getaway driver movie that is way outside the mold which is mm. one of the things I appreciate about it it's like a genre movie that busts the genre so anyway that's that's all I want to say about it it's very very good highly recommend but um, but yeah collateral for next week and for this week I think that's going to pretty much do it for us yeah I think we got it all in there awesome well until next time I'm Kyle I'm Kari we'll see you next time <laughs>